Welcome to Nerds at Church, a podcast about nerdery and the Bible. I'm Pastor Kay, and I use pronouns like she and her. And I'm Pastor Emily, and my pronouns are they, them, theirs. In this episode, we'll discuss the scripture readings for the 8th Sunday after Pentecost, also known as Lectionary 16, or Proper 11, which falls on July 18th this year. Check out the episode description for links to the Bible passages and other references we make in this episode. For this episode, we are deep diving into the theme of rest oration. So rest is a very common theme throughout scripture and comes up a few times in our readings for today. So we wanted to dive deep into what it is and why it is. And it's not just because Emily just made me yawn. (laughs) Although partly. Or because we're recording this during nap time. (laughs) Although partly. (laughs) (laughs) One of the main go-tos for rest and why we rest comes from Genesis 1. Yes, the Ten Commandments also have a commandment to keep the Sabbath, but the Sabbath and the idea of the Sabbath actually comes from Genesis 1. And one of the things that I love about the Genesis 1 account of creation, besides how poetic it is, is it really sets it up because... It is the priestly writers, so the people who were responsible for the rituals and the traditions of the temple who wrote this, they wrote it in such a way that God does all of this work in creating on the first day, right? We hear, on the first day, God did this. On the second day, God did this. And there was evening, and there was morning, day whatever. And on the seventh day, God finished all the work that God had done in creating, and God rested. Yay. And so that, yep, so that sets up both, like, the understandings that we have for, like, what a week is, and sets it up so that the final day of the week is a day of rest. Yeah. Which is awesome. Absolutely. This this is something that we know, that we inherently have a sense of rest is important. In general, theoretically, I think humans know that we need rest. We know that we need sleep because without sleep, we literally will die. But part of what I love about this is that because it's framed as God resting, it's one of those things that I remember talking to my CPE partner, who's an open Orthodox Jewish rabbi. So CPE is clinical pastoral education. It's something that most, if not all, clergy have to do as part of their training. And it helps us both deal with, like, the interpersonal dynamics and how our past traumas and past experiences impact how we engage with other people, but also to practice clinical, in clinical ways, pastoral care. Um, And so I was partnered with an open Orthodox Jewish rabbi, and we would talk about Sabbath. And one of the things that I remember him talking about was that there's this, like, hubris for humans who don't take the Sabbath, who say, no, I just have to keep going. And part of why we take the Sabbath is to remind us that we are not so important that the world will stop spinning if we rest. Yes, which is part of why cross-training at your job is so important. Yes. Because you are not so important that you cannot be replaced, and that's a similar kind of hubris. And also, cross-training usually means that you are expected to take some time off, which is important too. Yes. Yep. And so that's also if if literally God can rest for a day. Yes. Then humans should also 
be able to. And when we don't... And probably more than a day. Just a thought. Yes. Yes. And when we don't rest, there's a sense in which we're implying that we are more important than God, which is obviously not true. Right. At least for most of us. Yes. And there are lots of different ways that people think about Sabbath and rest. And um, one of my favorite people to follow for Sabbath blessings is Rabbi Danya Ruttenberg. She is the Rad R. So rabbis back in the day would be the and then R, capital R, lowercase a, and then their initials. So she's the Rad R is how I read it on Twitter. I don't know. But we'll link in our episode description so you can also follow her if you would like to receive some Sabbath blessings. I usually think of it as radar, so yours is less of a match reference. there you go. (laughs) But she's, it's just great. I think she's been pretty consistent on Fridays to do that. Yeah. Um, Also of note, in the Jewish practice of days, and that includes Sabbaths, a day begins in the evening. So depending on how you interpret it, it could be when you see three stars, that's the beginning of the day. Yes. Um, So that would be when you start Sabbath or when the sun sets and there's no longer a sun visible on the horizon. There are different ways of doing it. Um, Kind of the more conservative you are, the more broadly you tend to define it. So if you want to be extra, extra careful to make sure that you're not violating the Sabbath, then you're going to start as early as possible and go as late as possible. Yeah. If you want to acknowledge that it's about 24-hour period, then you'll use kind of either the first three lights for both starting and ending or when the sun sets for starting and ending or something like that. It's a beautiful practice. It is a Jewish practice first and foremost. Right. There are certainly spaces in Christianity, especially because we share scripture, some scripture with Judaism that practice rest and emphasize rest and Sabbath and a day of rest. And those are important to lean into and to recognize that we're not going to experience or live into them the same way that Jewish people will. No. And when we think about Sabbath, especially for Christians, that can look like different things. There are particular rules that um, Jewish people follow around Sabbath and rules about not lighting fires, um, that sort of thing. I know I was one time at a Shabbat dinner. So Sabbath and Shabbat are different ways of naming, like different pronunciations, different interpretations of the same word. Um, But I was at a Shabbat dinner with my CPE partner and they have timers for their lights so that they automatically go on and off so that they're not turning them on or turning them off on the Sabbath. And something was weird with their timer that day. And so right after everybody had washed hands and right before we were going to eat bread for the first time, all of the lights went out in the apartment. Interesting. Yep. And it was like, oh no, what do we do? But then I remembered because we had had a conversation literally that afternoon about like, well, what happens if like the power doesn't go out, the power goes out or this happens or that happens. And it was, well, I can't ask you to do that for me, but if you want to do that, I can benefit from it. Yes. Right. So I was like, ah, I want to see you all. So I I had to like say this all out loud so that I could like get it right in my head. So I was like, I want to see you all while we eat dinner. So I'm going to turn the lights on for myself. Yes. And then 
everybody had the lights on and they just left them on for that day, that whole Sabbath and then looked at the timer after Sabbath was over. Sure. So that was just Although kind I suppose of a, you could like, have turned the lights off for yourself as well, but I could have, but then they wouldn't have had them later. Right. And so it was easier to just like leave it on than to sure. kind of do that. But one of the things that we have a lot of freedom on as Christians is to say, what does Sabbath look like? For a lot of folks, Sabbath is worship. A lot of that happens on a Sunday. Um, For pastors, that might not be actually Sabbath. We have different days that we usually assign to Sabbath. But I really like, there's an episode of Joan of Arcadia called Recreation. And God, like, her task from God is to rest, to have fun. And they end up throwing a party and she gets kind of confused about what recreation is. But recreation and recreation is that sense that God's talking about in the episode of rest and renewal. Yeah. Part of why we do the rest is so that we can come back into ourselves. Yes, it's to remind us that we're not more important than God, but also that we need rest. We need that time and space for our bodies to be our bodies without any demands on them of being up at a certain time, doing this at a certain time, saying this, all of those sorts of things. Yeah. And in America, uh, historically, there have been a variety of ways that this has been interpreted. Um, I know that growing up, some of the historical novels I read, like uh, Anne of Green Gables, Caddy Woodlawn, Little Women, uh, and so on, there were certain things you could and could not do on Sunday. Like you were only supposed to read the Bible or possibly other religious related Mm -hmm. books, but not novels. Which is funny because like novels would be the fun thing to do. Right. But, on a day off. Well, and later on, of course, I suppose for a while there, there was probably a time where you could read Christian novels, but not, you know, non-Christian novels or something. <laughs> um, you could take a nice walk in the woods and appreciate the nature, but you couldn't like go berry picking, uh, that kind of thing. You could mm-hmm. you could sew something that you were going to donate to the church, but you couldn't like work on uh, mending your, uh, your shirt, that kind of thing. So. Mm-hmm. I one time was trying to make cookies. I think I was making them for Easter, maybe, or something. I was making cookies, or maybe it was during Lent when I was in Slovakia, and my house parents were both pastors, and one of them was, like, worried about what people would think because they could smell, because we lived in the parsonage and the church offices were in the building. So they would be able to smell the cookies baking on a Sunday morning, and, like, that was not okay. The other person was like, leave it alone. Yeah. Emily wants to do this, like, let them. But it was, like, a what is allowed. And that's, like, a lot of places you couldn't buy alcohol on a Sunday. Utah, I think you still can't buy alcohol on a Sunday. There are a few places, yeah. And Minnesota just recently, in the last few years, changed that. Yeah, so there's, like different things that you can or can't do on a Sunday. Which, by the way, um, occasionally that whole not being able to buy alcohol on a Sunday gets really awkward when someone realizes that they've run out of wine for communion at the very last minute. I've heard a few of those stories. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's super awkward. Which, it's been pretty easy during the pandemic because I just haven't been having wine for communion. (laughs) I've mostly been having coffee for communion because that is my life. But there's also things that are hard about having a day of rest. And one thing to note is it is thanks to the work of labor and unions that we even have any time for rest, in particularly in this country, that it is through hard-fought, 
um, organizing and protest and even at times massacres and violence inflicted upon organizers and union workers. Yeah. Yeah, this is not something that the very nice, super rich people who employ us all were kind enough to give to us. That is not how this worked. No. Having a 40-hour work week, having two days off. The lack of child labor. Lack of child labor. All of that comes from uh, unions. And there's actually this really, the Ricardo Levins Morales art studio that shows, like, I think I have it. So we'll, we'll either share a picture of it link to a picture I think we'll probably link to a picture on the studio's website of the poster itself that has like all of these things and it's like brought to you by labor unions but they they are why we have this it is not like in the Winnie the Pooh Christopher Robin movie that the creator of Winnie the Pooh comes up with this brilliant idea of let's give everybody vacation so that they will buy luggage and we can sell lots more luggage. That's not factual. No. It's because of unions. And even that, right, is work that we worked for when there was an assumption that there would be someone, usually a woman, working at home all of the time to take care of all of the things connected to the home. Yeah. We now live in a world where wages are lower and... Both people work, and we don't actually need wages to be as low as they are. And it actually would make more sense if we had a less than 40-hour work week and paid people more per hour. And we have the capacity to do that. We just have chosen not to. And instead, we pay people like Jeff Bezos bazillions of dollars every second. Except for Dan Price, who is a CEO in, uh, I think, Washington State somewhere, uh, who got... Uh, pretty well known in some circles a few years ago when he raised the minimum wage for all of the employees in his company to $70,000 a year. I want to work for him. Yeah. And uh, he is a proponent of what's called the good job strategy, which is actually also a book, which he did not write, uh, which is about how if you pay your employees well and treat them like human beings and not like cogs in a machine, they will do better work for you. And like, you know, be more functional and your company will do better work. Uh, and uh, sh shockingly enough, it turns out all those things are true and have been scientifically proven. And yet Walmart, you know, listens to none of that. So, yep. We'll try and link to that in our episode description for you all as well. I believe I learned about that book from Dr. Sarah Tabor on Twitter, which should not surprise <laughs> anyone because I quote Dr. Sarah Tabor on a fairly regular basis. So the other piece that we're kind of starting to get at is that it's really hard to take that time of rest, particularly for those of us who have maybe multiple jobs because one job is not sufficient to provide for everything we need. It's harder to have a day of rest. It's harder to have a weekend off. It's harder to take time to just be. And we live in a culture that is extremely capitalist and connects our worth to the amount of money we make which is really problematic. It's problematic because wages are so suppressed and people don't make as much as they as their work is worth, let alone any sort of comparison to their worth as a human being. Um, but it also is being in a capitalist culture and having so much pressure to work more than 40 hours a week, to work endlessly, to connect our worth as human beings to how much money we make, continues the cycle and keeps us from the things that are most life-giving, the things that are creative, 
expressions of who we are and keeps us from asserting ourselves, from demanding what we need in order to not just survive, but thrive. And so that's part of how capitalism works, is it intentionally grinds us down and gives us no time so that on the time that we do have off, we're just trying to recover our mental health, we're just trying to get back to the basics, and then we're automatically back to work and we don't have time to then grow from those basics. And one of the best places to dive deeper into this is the NAP ministry, which we'll link to on both Facebook and Twitter. But um, it is led by a black woman who does a really great job of naming the ways that capitalism and racism in particular um, impact our inability to rest. And the ways that rest is actually revolutionary, is actually resistance to capitalism and racism. Yeah. This is particularly true for people, for black indigenous people of color who are most called upon to work and work and work and work. Yeah. But also there are ways that we, as those of us who are white, can be allies in that work, um, both in that we also need to resist capitalism for our own sakes and for the sake of everyone, but also we can make sure that when we are resisting capitalism, when we are resting, we are not putting extra labor on Black, Indigenous, people of color to cover for us. Yeah. And one of the ways that that all gets uh, put into our brains and our psyches and uh, our subconscious is that if you have ever thought to yourself, oh, I shouldn't rest now, that would be lazy of me. That is one of the most common ways that we think about rest when in fact rest is something that was given to us by God as a gift. And I also recently heard, and I'm a little fuzzy on where this came from, uh, but I, I think I recently saw a tweet, uh, and I don't remember who it was from, that put forward the idea, what if there was no such thing as laziness? What if there was no such thing as lazy people? What if there were just people who were imperfect, people who needed to rest, people who uh, had mental health and physical disabilities, people who who were traumatized, people who just needed a break, people who were exhausted uh, and all that. And there was no actual laziness in the world. And I thought yeah, that was I, an extraordinary thought. Yeah, that's beautiful. I don't think I saw that one. But I think that is a big part of why we need to rest. And I know, especially from this pandemic. There are so many people that are bordering on burnout, if not already burnt out. And by and large, it's people who are some version of essential worker, right? Yeah. So that's healthcare workers, that's fast food, grocery store workers. The people who are service workers or who are in helping jobs, as I usually think of them. Yeah, yeah service workers and helping jobs. So that's therapists, that's pastors, that's clergy, Teachers. that's teachers, all of us have been overworked. And for those who did receive any sort of hazard pay, it was like for two months, and then it disappeared, despite the fact that the pandemic has been going on, and continues to go on for a year, for over a year now. And that's so that's part of it, too, is and meanwhile, there's a bunch of people on Twitter who clearly make six figures a year and got to work from home and had no trouble at all with anything during the pandemic and got to rest and are saying, why aren't all of you, you know, bright and bushy tailed and ready to go? Because I learned a new language during the pandemic and had a wonderful time. 
Yeah, the number of people. I have the combination of people who are like, have done this great thing or learned this new skill in the pandemic. And like, admittedly, I'm much better at baking bread than I was. And I have a recipe that's like a really easy baking bread recipe. But it's also from a like, five minute bread, artisan bread book. So it's like, something that I can do really quickly because I don't actually have that much time. Yeah. Um, but I also then have people who are like, if all you did in this pandemic is survive. Yay. Good job. Yeah. Right. Like I personally had to stop learning two skills during the pandemic because my husband was working from home and I couldn't practice anymore. And mm. so one day I will be able to get back to those. But today is not that day. I would also throw out there that if you want to celebrate the concept of rest through media, two suggestions I would make would be the Days of the Week song, also known as I Never Go to Work by They Might Be Giants, uh, which I know a few people who have actually taught their very small children the names of the days of the week through the song, which is all about celebrating not going to work. Uh, and also, uh, I have a particularly deep love for Dr. Seuss's Sleep Book, which is one of the lesser known mm. books by Dr. Seuss. And it's sort of a lullaby in a book, although not uh -huh. musical. And I, I especially love it because there is something about the way that it's written that as you read it to a child or to yourself, for that matter, which I've done because I have a copy, which is a family heirloom. There is something about the way that it's written that your voice naturally slows down as you go through the book. And it Ooh. actually like will put you and or the child you're reading it to to sleep as you read it <gasps> uh, because it gets more and more soothing and your your tone becomes more and more relaxed. And it's I don't know how he did it, but it's fabulous. Uh, and so if you have a kid who is difficult to put to sleep, uh, this is actually my standard baby shower gift. <laughs> and I've loved it for many years. I need to check that out. I don't think I've ever read it before, but occasionally I have trouble falling asleep. So that would be a really good one. Yeah. So rest is important and it is hard and it is part of resisting the daily grind that wants to keep us all as cogs in a machine instead of creative and unique creatures of God. Yes. So resist the establishment and take a nap. Yay! Our first reading for today is from Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 1 through 6. God has seen the people of Israel destroyed and scattered, and promises them a new leader of David's line, a ruler of wisdom and justice and righteousness. So one of the themes in this passage is accountability with power. So Jeremiah is working on holding accountable the leaders um, and and having and talking about this new leader who will be accountable for wisdom and justice and righteousness, as Kay said. And this made me think of The West Wing, which is a show that I deeply, deeply love. Yay. And the time there's there's this plot arc throughout the show of the president when the president we find out that the president has multiple sclerosis and then has been not telling the truth about it and then and then the truth finally comes out and there's this way of like, what does it mean to hold him accountable for omitting the truth yeah. and in one spot lying about his diagnosis and his health and like how much right do people have to know stuff that yeah. like private health information anyway. But that's one of those things where they ultimately they end up like having Congress do a censure vote. And so anybody from 
either party is allowed to vote however they want. There's no pressure from the president to not vote yes on the censure, and people are able to censure the president. And practically speaking, it doesn't do a ton, but it does give that space to say, that was not okay. Yeah, it's a statement. Even if it's not something that like is explicitly breaking the law, that's not okay. That's not an okay thing to do, and don't do it again, basically. Yeah. So, people with power need to be held accountable. These days, one of the ways that we're held accountable is through social media. For those of us who have public yeah. ministries and public ways of holding power. Although you may occasionally hear people call that accountability cancel culture, which is... A... Which is which is really like a code word for consequences for your actions. Yes. Also known as, if you're a Nazi and you're fired, it's your fault. But Yes. Yeah. If you're a Nazi and you're fired, it's your fault. sorry that just was like too perfect yeah absolutely i also have to say when i was listening to i i wrote the summary for this uh passage and the phrase a ruler of wisdom and justice and righteousness i immediately pictured a ruler like you know a foot log (laughs) how would a ruler be of wisdom and justice and righteousness like obviously it would have to be accurate but maybe it would have a nice little quote on the other side that was wise i don't know that's fantastic (laughs) on to things that are actually you know applicable to this podcast in verse two (laughs) we read it is you who have scattered my flock and have driven them away and you have not attended to them and i'm in the process of reminding myself uh, some things about how the book dune worked uh, because there is an upcoming miniseries uh, that's going to be coming out and uh, i'm hoping to do a reread before that happens and Or possibly it already came out and I've already missed it, which has totally happened before, but I haven't actually watched it yet, is my point. And Mm -hmm. in Dune, when the Harkonnens attack the Atreides and they kill the Duke, uh, afterwards the Duke's former uh, allies and employees and family members and so on all sort of scatter to the four winds and wind up in very different places. Uh, And that's what that made me think of. Hmm. And I went with this verse right after that where... God says, then I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the lands where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. And was thinking about the post-apocalyptic movies like I Am Legend, or I think there's one of the Resident Evils that does this. There's a bunch of almost every post-apocalyptic movie I can think of where all of the survivors, after some apocalyptic event, whether it's nuclear disaster or a plague asteroid or... or a plague or whatever survivors are all scattered scattered all throughout the world and then are trying to come back together and find each other and figure out how to live a new life together yeah. or aliens it could be aliens. or aliens it could be aliens that are the apocalyptic thing i'd be just like us to assume that because we would be those kinds of aliens like oh, if, yes. if it were us going somewhere else it'd be yeah. that In verse 5, we read, The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Okay, so people get a little confused about this, like, branch, what? And the branch is basically a branch of David's family tree. Like, to be clear, that is not the exact metaphor that the Bible is using here, but the short version. (laughs) This is a branch of David's family tree. 
as far as a job description for community leaders go, I have to say that this is a good one. Uh, deal wisely, execute justice and righteousness in the land. That that sounds like a decent short job description for someone who is hmm. running a community. Very good. Um, and I can think of a handful of planets that we find in Star Trek that could definitely have used that. <laughs> <laughs> so Were any of those planets Earth? Yeah, yeah, once or twice. Like sometimes they were, Earth was getting taken over by a, a, a secret like cabal or something, but usually, it, yeah, Earth itself. Too. Gotcha. Okay. In verse six, we read that in those days, the days of this branch that is being raised up, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. So at the end of verse six, we read, and this is the name by which the branch of David will be called. God is our righteousness. We haven't done name meanings a lot recently in our episodes but i love looking at the different name meanings and when we read about the name meanings in the bible especially in the hebrew bible the the names were actual names but they all have meaning so if you look at like the genesis um ancestries or matthew and luke's ancestries of jesus uh that all of those names have particular meanings. And it's like in English these days, we kind of have gotten rid of that tradition. We're like, our names have meanings. Like my name means artist, but it's not quite as big or profound of meanings as God is our righteousness. So I was thinking about that and thinking about Katniss in the Hunger Games, because Katniss is a plant that's edible and has like the roots are edible, kind of like potato-y, starchy things. And at one point... Um, when she was growing up, Katniss's dad said to her, find yourself and you won't starve. And that actually comes back around to save her life after her dad dies in a mining accident. Um, and so it's like those particular, like not just the names, but also how those names come to be or what the, what greater meaning those names have. Yeah. So kind of cool. I was trying to look up if there's a, a name that's in common use today that actually means that, but I, my Google abilities are failing me. So I thought that like yeah. Eli or something like that meant, but I don't remember. I mean, Eli is my God. Right. I wonder... All I found was a bunch of pages talking about Yehovah Sid Kenu, which is not what anyone is naming their kid. And also... Um, Tzedekah. So tzedek is righteousness in Hebrew. Um, but then like, so usually that particular word for God is abbreviated as yah. Yeah. So like hallelujah in Hebrew. So it'd be some version of like tzedekah. Zedekiah. Zedekiah. Isn't Zedekiah, Zedekiah an unrighteous king though? I mean, the meaning is the Lord is just. Okay. So that would be the meaning. Now, whether the king Zedekiah is just or not. That's a whole other whole thing. Yeah. Other, yeah. Anyway, Zedekiah. There you go, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Our second reading is from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. The author reminds the Christians who did not come from Judaism that they know what it means to be strangers and aliens, though they are now full citizens in God's eyes. It's one of the themes that came up for me in this passage is the idea of new people coming into an established practice. And Christianity is not just like a new iteration of Judaism. Judaism as right. we know it today came about around the same time that Christianity was coming about. And after the destruction of the temple in 70 CE, 
But there is a sense of, especially from Paul's perspective as a Jewish person, bringing in new people. And the example that I could come up with, which is like a super problematic example, is from The Handmaid's Tale, which I'm on the first season of and going very, very slowly up because it is like super intense. Yeah, uh, for what it's worth, I watched about one and a half seasons and I had to quit because it started showing up in like dreams and stuff and was actually traumatic. So that's why I do like one episode a week, maybe. Yeah. And then I immediately follow it by something that is not. Yeah. And it's show because it's too, it's too triggering for me. So no one is required to watch it by any stretch of the imagination and it is holy cow it's for grown-ups yeah in, in a yeah, big way for sure yeah. um but it's also really insightful and yeah. touches on a lot of stuff going on today but in the episode that i recently watched the mexican ambassador comes ah, and so yeah, it's like that one. bringing the mexican the mexican ambassador comes into this culture and trying to figure out like where the connections are and where the disconnections are and it ends up being like really not great because they're talking about handmaids as like commodities and things which is problematic but but it is the idea of like what does how do you present your culture to a new group in a way that will get them to support it or will make sense to them yeah in verse 11 we read so then remember that at one time you gentiles by birth called the uncircumcision by those who are called the circumcision I, no, no, look, no. Jewish people don't actually call themselves that these days, for for one. For another, I think this is the translation being weird, like not just the whole concept of people going around calling themselves the uncircum-whatever, but also I think this is a grammar issue because it would be the uncircumcised and the circumcised, right? Like, that's Mm -hmm. right. And also, I don't think, unless you're talking about a very specific religious context, people mostly don't call themselves either of those. Yeah. If you are not Jewish and you want to call yourself the uncircumcision, I would suggest expecting some weird looks. Yeah. It's not all that different, I suppose, from President Kennedy calling himself a jelly donut while trying to speak German, except somewhat less endearing. (laughs) <laughs> yes jelly donut enduring circumcision yeah Less so. although you know when i was younger and i was around young cisgender males who were easily terrified bringing up the word circumcision without warning was a great way to make them freak out <laughs> in verse 13 we read but now in christ jesus you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of christ We don't usually think of blood bringing us places, or at least I don't usually think of blood bringing me places or closer. Except for that one time in the Nile. Well, yeah, I suppose. If you were riding on the Nile, riding a boat on the Nile, when it turned to blood, then... That that probably affected the speed of your travel, at least. Um, It... it... Mm. Would it be harder to row in? Anyway, moving on. Before we actually have to have that conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Or or closer or further from a group group of people. But this does remind me of the uh, In the October Day series by Shauna McGuire. There is a object called a hope chest. 
uh, and there are about a dozen of these, uh, which these are objects that allow a person to change what they call the balance of their blood. If they are a changeling, which is to say part fae and part human, they can become fully fae or fully human by using a hope chest, or they can move back and forth along the spectrum uh, in uh, either direction. If they belong to multiple races and or species of fae, because those words are complicated when it comes to fairy uh, in those books. Uh, they can use a hope chest to change how much they are uh, one or the other, or say remove one out of three of their species if that's causing them like uh, medical issues, which does happen occasionally. And due to fairies' prejudices about blood, uh, doing any of those things can actually move you closer or further from various communities within fairy uh, in those books. It's handled fairly interestingly. So Yeah. I, in verse 19, when we read, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God. I really like this passage. It points to um, a different kind of citizenship because citizenship today is real complicated and really expensive. And so much um, paperwork. Kind of, and so much paperwork. We kind of talk about this in... Our episode for the sixth Sunday after Pentecost with Pastor Alejandro, um, and we'll link to that in the episode description. But to acquire citizenship, particularly in the United States, the the way the barriers that immigrants face, the barriers that people face towards naturalization, all of that are huge. And what this says, right, is that the citizenship that actually matters is citizenship in Christ, that our belonging and our membership is with God and not with any individual country, which is problematic if you think you need to have flags in the sanctuary. I think it is fair to say, okay, that as a podcast, we are not in favor of flags in the sanctuary because, in fact, God is supposed to be the ultimate concern for all of us and the ultimate right, most important thing, not our citizenship in a country and not the flag of that country. The one time I actually found having a flag in a sanctuary kind of endearing was in a American congregation, which did have a flag in their sanctuary, but it was a Swedish flag. They were acknowledging their heritage as a congregation. And also it was like in the back of the sanctuary by the door. And that was cute. Uh, it, they also had an American flag next to it, which I was a little bit more irritated by, but the Swedish flag I could live with, that was fine. Well, and I think, I do think it's different when there are multiple flags to represent the heritage or the citizenship of all of the people in the, in the congregation. Um, And I know congregations that are multinational, multiracial, multiethnic, who have like a Mexican flag, a Guatemalan flag, a United States flag. And it Um, also helps that that it's been like a thousand years since the Swedes tried to take over the world. So... Very few people also are true. still angry at them about that. Also true. But I think that, that that is a different sense than what is experienced when there is just a United States flag in right. this particular land. Or for that matter, the Christian flag, which has a whole different set of, ba- of uh, baggage with it. Yes. And that, and like the history of flags in this country are, is Awkward. like... It's awkward. It's happened to like prove that Germans were like not so German after World War One. 
speaking of which, if you want to read more about the history of uh, American congregations and flags, uh, you can check out Grace Alone, Lutheran in the 21st Century, which includes a lesson on uh, the history of World War II and Lutherans and how the display of swastikas in German sanctuaries freaked out a bunch of German Americans and they decided to take all the flags out of their sanctuaries. Oh, interesting. Because they started, it started in response to World War One, right. and the Germans putting flat, like German Lutheran congregations, especially putting flags in sanctuary. Yes, West to show that they were like, less no, German. We're, and then after World so War Two, there were two separate strands of tradition in German Lutheran sanctuaries, uh, in, in from what I've found, which is that some German Lutheran American uh, congregations took all the flags out. And some mm -hmm. just put in a ton of American flags. It was the two different reactions to... Yeah. yeah. Some are more complicated and problematic than others. Take your flags out. If you are listening to this and you haven't told your pastor that your flag, that you don't want flags in the sanctuary, tell your pastor. Actually, tell they your church your council. Support. Like, send a note tell to the church, church council. council. That's probably going to do more. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, yeah. Tell your church council and your pastor. Yeah. And show up for the conversations and have their back when they're trying to do that because this is like scary how idolatrous yeah flags in the sanctuary can get it's like ridiculous anyhow speaking of wandering off onto tangents which we occasionally do verse 22 eh uh yes in verse 22 we read in whom so speaking of christ that it is in whom Christ, in whom you also are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. So thinking about this is not like the muggles in the Ministry of Magic in Deathly Hallows, who form the building blocks for the throne for the witch and wizard in the new um, statue. In the new statue. Creepy. But it's more like a the church is not the building kind of thing which we should hopefully all be quite familiar with after so many months of pandemia yeah. and quarantine that like who we are as the body of Christ as the church is not the building that we right. inhabit the building that we own also let's just not build buildings out of people or furniture like just in general yeah yeah don't do that okay or on people. Yeah. Our final reading for this episode is from Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 34, and verses 53 through 56. While Jesus performed many miracles, he and his disciples also tried to make time for rest, as whenever Jesus arrived at a new place, crowds would surround him, asking for healing and teaching. So one of the themes in this passage is that rest is hard to find. Yes. Right? Jesus and the disciples talk about rest and make plans to rest and then as you just mentioned that gets interrupted frequently so i i think the best example ever of like needing and wanting rest and not being able to have it is in fact the beginning of battlestar galactica when they are first fleeing from the cylons and after 30 minutes the cylons find them every single time and so people are going on like days without sleep before they figure out how to stop that and that's like, that's a pretty extreme example. Mm -hmm. But even in this passage, they talk about um, not even having time to like eat. So it feels pretty accurate too. And then in verse 30, we read, the apostles gathered around Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And that, that 
at first I was like trying to think of like the students who are like, ooh, ooh, t- look at all the things I did or <laughs> look at all the things I did. I did so much. <laughs> but I couldn't really think of examples of that besides like Hermione. Um, but it also reminded me of like at the beginning of episodes of TV shows, there's like last time on The Legend of Korra. And yes. the like little announcer voice guy is like, this happened and this happened and this happened. Rah, 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 rah. I think I would like the recap bits more if they were that wacky, but yes. <laughs> I mean, Legend of Korra does a good job because it's done as the like radio announcer person. Cool. So there's a little bit more of that sense of it. But... And then in verse 34, we read, As Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus began to teach them many things. So this is like in the West Wing, we get this a little bit, um, particularly in when Santos is campaigning to be president. But there's the like the need to stay behind and talk to people and and hang out and do and work the line when campaigning for president or when being president. Um, But in a like real life example, Elizabeth Warren actually had like a real big reputation for always being late on the campaign trail because she would always stay behind and talk to people and sign things. And like, that's how the whole like selfie line became a thing. And I know a few people who got to actually be in that selfie line and get selfies. I did not get a selfie with Elizabeth Warren ever. I did with Julian Castro though. So half of my favorites. So verse 41 may not be included in the reading that you hear on Sunday at your congregation uh, because uh, it is an optional choice. But in verse 41, we read that Jesus, taking the five loaves and the two fish, Jesus looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them uh, to his disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. Have you ever noticed that how sometimes depictions of the scene will show Jesus breaking the bread, but they never so much show him cutting up the fish? Funny how that works. Like some things just do not make good children's Bible illustrations. You know, chopping up uh, fish is probably not going to be great for that, Uh, especially considering the fact that when they say two fish, I don't think they mean two, you know, cleaned and uh, separated fish uh, that have already had the scales taken off and so forth. They probably might even still be alive. Yeah. Yeah. And dividing two fish into thousands of pieces is one of those things that's just never going to be a great Bible illustration in a children's Bible. Like, for example, I grew up with the great illustrated classics books, uh, which were children's versions of classic books, and uh, they've had illustrations in them, as you might have guessed from the uh, title of the series. And funnily enough, butchering and executions were not really scenes that they chose to illustrate very often uh, in those books. Odd. Weird. Yeah. And this is a this is also a like sneak preview for our next episode because the next episode actually has the feeding of the 5000 right. according to John, but that'll also begin our bread of life, bread apocalypse, friend in need, eat me Jesus, abundance, all sorts of our bread of life titles. series. Our bread of life series which is going to be named, titled but we're going to ask you all, and we may have a title by the time this episode comes out, but... We may possibly there's... just have several titles for every episode. Like, at this rate, <laughs> that's an option. So We do have enough for every, for, like, two for every episode, sure. but we might have, like, one overarching, and then each episode in between have, I don't know, 
In verse 56, we read, And wherever Jesus went, into villages or cities or farms, they laid the sick in the, mar in the marketplaces and begged him that they might touch even the fringe of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. Just like the lady with the hemorrhage, uh, also historically known as Bernicke, was healed uh, earlier in the Gospel of Mark by touching his cloak. It sounds like Jesus' reputation is starting to get around. You would think he was the doctor or something. <laughs> That's true. But I like the I fact mean, that in this verse, it specifically references uh, the woman with the hemorrhage with the touching the fringe of his cloak, um, and also the fact that he just heals a whole boatload of people. Yeah, I really like that, too. I so noticed that. I was like, yeah. ooh, this is awesome. Connections. I made that connection for queries, which will be posted Excellent. this week at querying.org. Thanks for joining us. Catch us next time as we begin our Bread of Life series names to come, which begins with nerdery connections to the scripture readings for the ninth Sunday after Pentecost, with special guests from local Des Moines mutual aid groups. This podcast has been produced by us, Emily Ewing and Kay Roloff. For more fun, check us out on Twitter and Facebook at N-E-R-D-S-A-T-C-H-U-R-C-H, Nerds at Church, or contact us at nerdsatchurch at gmail.com. Also, if you like what you've heard, rate us or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Facebook, or wherever you catch your podcasts. If you want access to our full guest episodes and interviews, uh, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash nerdsatchurch. We hope Patreon can help us get our episodes transcribed for those who need or prefer that, though if you want to help us with transcripts, let us know via email or social media. As the ancient Christians said, Pax Phobiscum. Phobiscum.